Uh, good morning. And jump right to it. We're going to continue the ongoing series with the life of Paul, and we're going to pick right up where we left off from last week. So Acts chapter 20, verses 3 through 16 will be today. Uh, that's 14 verses, and I'm calling these 14 verses, ready for this, a talking peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay, now to give credit where credit is due, I did not originally come up with that term uh, about 20 years ago. Oof, long time. Uh, I had a former student by the name of Rachel, and she's the one who introduced it to me. A talking peanut butter sandwich is this. It's when you say a little something, but it's not the main something. But after you say the main little something, then you say the main something. And after you're done saying the main something, then you say another little something. That's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Talking peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Rachel would often have to come to my office because of her ongoing drama and issues that she was having at school. And as the school dean, it was my job to stop the drama and fix the issues. So I would call her into my office, and I would often start with something very light and casual with her, trying to build a little bit of a relationship with her. I just didn't want to be the mean dean guy. And so after we would do that, then we would work our way into the big main issue, the reason she was called to the office in the first place. And when we got done sorting out all of those issues, then I would try to, again, lighten the mood a little bit and talk about a little something to her. Well, one time when Rachel came to my office, and she came a lot, one time she said this to me. She said, coming to your office is like having a talking peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I said, what do you mean? And she responded with what I just described to me, described to you. She said, it's like you say a little something, but you really want to get to the main juicy stuff. And then when you're done, you say something kind of nice and send me back to class. She was right. That's a talking peanut butter and jelly sandwich, as I know it to the best I can remember it. And that's how putting these 14 verses together seems like a talking peanut butter and jelly sandwich to me. So we're going to divide them into three sections. The first section is going to say a little bit. It's like the bottom piece of the sandwich. The second section, the middle section, that's like the really good stuff. It's the peanut butter and jelly part of the sandwich to me here. And then the third section is a lot like the first section. It's going to be, say, a little bit of something, and it will be the top piece that completes the sandwich. Got it? So now, maybe craving a good old PBJ, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, verse 3. We're going to look at these in three sections. Acts 20, 3 through 16. When he, that's Paul, when he was about to set sail for Syria, a plot was devised against him by the Jews. So a decision was made to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea. Eric. Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus from Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. In five days we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. That's section one. That's the bottom piece of bread. So what do we have here? Well, we have more of Paul's traveling itinerary given to us. And once again, what happens? His traveling plans are rerouted because of a plot by the Jews to either hurt or kill him. We're not really sure what happened. All right, so on my map, OK, 
okay? Like the little warning, Kenan's so good. Right? This is what they do. This is what was planned. They all do this except for Paul. He does not do this because they think that maybe somewhere across this when they hit these deep waters on their way over here to Troas, maybe the ship was full of Jews and they were going to throw him overboard. I, we don't know what the plot is, but what we do know is that instead of Paul doing this, Paul does this. He travels around over here towards backtracking back towards Macedonia. That's what the plan is. That's what we see going on right here. Another thing that we see in this is a list of names and where they are from. Like, have you ever gone to a, like a conference or a trade show and, and you get your name on a little sticker or a little badge and underneath your name, it also says where you're from, right? That's kind of the idea right here. This is what Paul gives to us. Excuse me. This is what Luke gives to us here. And he's telling this. Now, how cool would it be to have your name in the Bible? That's pretty remarkable, right? And Honestly, there is a chance that you might bump into one of these guys someday in heaven. There's a possibility of happening. Or you might just be playing a good game of Bible trivia pursuit and need to know these names. So I just want to quickly look at these names and show you a little bit, name and place where they're from, and tell you why in just a little bit. First up, there's Sopater. He's from Berea. He's probably the same guy that's mentioned again in Romans, but... Sopater, as unusual as a name as it may sound to us, it was a very common name of the day. So maybe it's the same guy I mentioned multiple times, not sure, okay? Aristarchus, he was from Thessalonica. You should remember him from the page before in Acts 19. Like he was one of the guys that was dragged into the amphitheater, remember that? Right? He came just inches away from having some serious bodily damage. And yet, here he is, still sticking around with Paul after barely escaping this riot in Ephesus. And then there's Secundus. He's also from Thessalonica. Now, Secundus, in the name means second. You can almost even hear it in the name, Secundus. Um, there is some idea that it might not have even been his original name, but maybe this was more of a titled name. A title name given to persons, and in this case, to servants, like second-like in servant command, maybe. All right, so that's there. What's interesting to note here is, just real quick, that both um, Aristarchus and Secundus, they're both mentioned together, but by name recognition alone, it would be an odd pair to be together. Aristarchus is a name of nobility and authority. Could it be that he is hanging out with Secundus, a low-ranking servant? That would, be, that would be highly frowned upon by the Roman elite, the powerful, the rich there. But notice, the gospel kind of changes all of those rules and things. So maybe. Then there's, there's Gaius, could also be pronounced Gaius. This could be the same Gaius from Acts 19 who was also dragged off to the amphitheater. But that Gaius in Acts 19, he was from Derby. Uh, excuse me, he was from Macedonia. This one here in this text, he is from Derby. So again, like Sopater, Gaius was a common name of the day. So we're not positive. Then there's Timothy. He's from Asia. Probably the one guy that we all recognize. Oh, I recognize that name. And we know later on in life that Paul writes two letters to him, First and Second Timothy. There's Tychicus. He's from Asia. He might be a guy that you've never, ever, ever heard of before. But his name is mentioned several times by Paul and in Paul's letters. Paul describes him as a faithful servant and a faithful 
messenger. Basically, Tychicus is Paul's mailman. The seventh person is Trophimus. He's also from Asia. What we can find about him is that he traveled with Paul, it looks like, for many, many years. And other than getting sick in Miletus, that's all we really know about Trophimus. So there they are, seven guys. They probably were representatives from all the churches that Paul was visiting and getting money from, and now they are traveling with him, all heading back towards Jerusalem to give this donation to them. And then there's an interesting verse here in verse 6 where we see the pronoun we is used. And this is the first time it's been used in a long, long time. We is referring to now again Dr. Luke, the author of this book. He has now rejoined Paul. Last we remember, Luke stayed in Philippi to help establish a brand new church. And now that Paul is swinging back into Philippi, it looks like they reunite. And together, they celebrate, they observe what's called here is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is part of the Passover, which is what the Jews celebrated for a week, a week-long celebration, remembering how they are now free from the captivity of Israel when they, got the, when they escaped. So this is hundreds of years later now that this has happened. Even today, now thousands of years later, the Jewish nation still celebrates the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So after this celebration, both Paul and Luke sail to Troas, which we would know it today as modern-day Turkey. So I think we have to make maybe an assumption here that Luke was able to leave the church in Philippi probably because it was well-grounded. It was in good shape. Others were able to lead it, and so he leaves. And so you get to all this first section, and you go, well, what's the kind of application point do we have for this? Well, for me, as I was thinking through this this week, the names and the listing of places, it just reminded me of this. The application for us, Christianity is a worldwide team sport. Worldwide. Paul is not doing this alone, and neither do we. Like, if you want a ministry to fail, just do this. If you want it to be short-lived, start a ministry by yourself, do it all by yourself, have no authority but yourself, and that will be a ministry that will not last over the long haul. That is not Christianity. Christianity is literally a time of helping one another all the time, and the church has never stopped doing that. Yes, I know, like inside of this body right here at Good News, there is brother help going on all the time, sister help going on all the time. But the same thing is true all across the world. Like we can help brothers and sisters on the other side of the world as well. Everyone on the team has a role. And just from the list of guys in these verses, we can see that Team Jesus is widespread. I mean, Berea, Thessalonica, Derby, Macedonia, Asia. And this worldwide team, it's about as diverse as it gets. You got Jews and Gentiles, ethnic diversity. You've got nobility and servants, economic and social diversity. I bet if we digged into their educational a little bit, we would see it, find a big gap in educational diversity. And on and on and on the diversity goes. But none of these differences matter because the bottom line is that the gospel, it unites all kinds of different classes and groups and makes us into one people, one team, one body. 
No one is too high and no one is too low for being on the team. So if you're on the team, be a great teammate. Be encouraged. I, I, I want to encourage you today. Just be encouraged that know that right here from Ocala to Timbuktu, that there are believers all over this planet Earth. And get this, the team is growing. It's getting bigger. Christianity is a worldwide team sport. Now to the middle section, the really juicy part. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he extended his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the, up, in the room upstairs where we were assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill, and he sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on speaking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, and said, Don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. After going upstairs, breaking the bread, and eating, Paul conversed a considerable time until dawn. Then he left. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Man, that is peanut butter and jelly at its best. <laughs> now, over the years, these verses have certainly received their fare of, of jokes when it comes to sleeping in church and the long-winded preacher. Now, I'm only like 16 minutes in, so that is not me yet. And if you only could see what I see, like there is a guy sacked out right here on the very front row, asleep. I'm not kidding, look, right? You can't make this up. Okay, before... Before we get to Eutychus and sleeping in church and Paul's long-winded preaching and all that, I want you to go back to verse 7 and notice this. On the first day of the week, we assemble to break bread. This is the very first time. You might want to star this in your Bible. This is the very first time in all the Bible that it explicitly says that the church was going to church on Sunday. There are hints of it earlier in passages. I don't doubt that at all. But this is the very first time in Scripture that we see the early church meeting on a Sunday, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now, let me say a few things about that, because I, I think we can get a ditch in a ditch on this a little bit. One, the church can meet any day of the week that it wants to meet. There is no hard rule in the Bible that says you must meet on Sunday, church. Every day is a day to worship, if you want to meet on Tuesdays, meet on Tuesdays. If you want to meet on Saturday, go for it. All days are open for worship for the church. Two, I do think that the reason that the early church started meeting on Sundays is because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and Sunday became known as Resurrection Day. And the early Christians, they were so stoked about this that this became their big gathering day to worship. And three, this has nothing to do with the Sabbath. It's not breaking the Sabbath. It's not keeping the Sabbath holy. Every day is holy, and Jesus is our resting Sabbath. That's what the New Testament's all about. And four, as it is right now, and it's been like this for a long time, really, it has, in our culture, 
Sundays are just a great day for going to church. A lot of our work week is still Monday through Saturday, which makes Sunday a great day to meet. And we do. But at the end of the day, the church has freedom and liberty to meet any day that it desires. Okay, done. Verse 7 again. On the first day, that Sunday, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he extended his message until midnight. They met on Sunday, and we find out a couple of things that they do when they meet. One thing that they do is they eat together, and they take the Lord's Supper together. This is a common theme throughout the New Testament. Now, I can't, I can't emphatically say every time that they met that they took the Lord's Supper, but they might have. I, you could probably make a case that they did it each and every week. Like, we don't do that, but some church gatherings, they do. I could see the point of like, yep, they do it every week. And again, there's not a rule that says you have to do it every week, but I do notice that there is a theme here of them always having the Lord's Supper together. And besides doing this eating together and Lord's Supper together, they listen to the preaching of God's word. This was very much a regular practice of the church that when they met together, the word of God was put on a high, high level of importance when they met. And it doesn't say in these verses, but it's not hard to find from other passages that the early church, they had a habit of singing together and praying together when they met on Sunday to worship as well. So did Paul always preach to midnight? Probably not. But if you look at this carefully, it's easy to see because of the circumstances he did this time. I think it's fair to say that depending on the circumstances, a length of a sermon can fluctuate. And that gave me a fabulous idea. Consider our circumstances. It is Memorial Weekend. Most of you have Monday off. <laughs> we could go for an all-nighter. And look, there are no windows to even fall out of. This is a safe place. It's a perfect night for a midnight sermon rendezvous. Okay. I think Paul truly realized this could very well be his swan song tour, the very last time that he was going to be with these people. The Holy Spirit is already starting to give him signals, warning signals of upcoming imprisonment, upcoming change, chains, upcoming sufferings are going to be happening in the day ahead. I, I think Paul, just, he knew this was it. Those were the circumstances. And to be fair to Paul, Sunday at this time was still a work day for them. They're, they're gathering together. They're meeting together. It probably would not have started until the evening. So based on those, those circumstances and based on the, the urgency that Paul knew about right here, he is going to preach right up to the time he has to leave. And in verse 8, there were many lamps in the room upstairs where they were assembled. And here's young man Eutychus, probably 8 to 14 years old, people expect, sitting on a windowsill, sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on speaking. When he's overcome by sleep, he falls down from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul goes down, 
fell upon him, embraced him, and said, don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. Now, many scholars think that the reason that these lamps are mentioned is because of this aroma of fumes that they would put off, and it like makes you sleepy, and it seemed to work at Eutychus. That was probably the case. Probably worked all day, a little tired. And even now, maybe he moves over to the window to get a little bit of fresh air and try as he might. Three stories down falls to his death. I kind of smile when I read this, the, the, the wording here of this text that Paul goes down and falls upon him. I'm like, did he dogpile on him? Like, more injury to insult there? All that? No, he embraces him. And then, I don't know if some stayed up in the third story, like looking over at the window or what, but Paul yells out to the shocked church members, don't worry, he's alive. Just try to put yourself in that situation. Now, some people scoff at this. He wasn't dead. He was just knocked unconscious. I don't believe any of that. Now, listen. Luke was a doctor. And I know doctors make mistakes sometimes. I I won't picky. Bear with me. (laughs) But the reason Luke declared that he was dead was because he was dead. He was dead. Eutychus means fortunate. Well, right now, he's not living up to his name. But, get this, by a powerful Holy Spirit hug from Paul, he's brought back to life. Remember a couple chapters earlier where Paul's, like, his, his, his handkerchiefs became powerful? Like, you just, just, here, just take this and they get healed. Like, They could have dropped it out of the third story and have this little powerful hanky hit him in the face. He runs downstairs, hugs him, and he's back to life. Which I think leads to one of the biggest understatements of this entire section, which is verse 12. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Oh, I bet they were comforted. Ecstatic. I bet... They had never, do you think they ever forgot about this Sunday service? And the stories that they would share? So here's what we got in this peanut butter section here in section two. They meet on Sunday. They eat together. They have the Lord's Supper. Paul preaches and preaches and preaches and preaches. Eutychus zonks out, falls to his death. Paul brings them back to life. And then verse 11 says this. After going upstairs, they do it all the more. More breaking bread, more eating food, more Paul talking and conversing until dawn. Now, you would have thought maybe after an evening of falling and dying and being brought back to life, maybe somebody might say, hey, it's getting late here. We got work in the morning. And they don't. They just keep on going until sunrise. And then they go home very comforted. What 
an incredible section of verses. What a night. I've been going to church for a long time, and I've not seen this happen yet. Application. I think one thing is this. Let's keep doing what we are doing. Like, let's see what the early church was doing. It seemed to have God's blessing to it. And then let's be a copycat. Copy it. They met on Sunday. We meet on Sunday. They broke bread, had the Lord's Supper. We break bread, have the Lord's Supper. They prayed, we pray. They sang songs worshiping God. We sing songs worshiping God. They slept in church, we... Wait a minute. (laughs) You, You know what I mean. And seriously, let's keep doing what we are doing, especially when it comes to the word of God. Just like these believers in Troas, our attitude should be we cannot get enough of God's word into our lives. Let's soak it up. Let's eat it up. Get up early. Stay up late. Whatever it takes to consume the word of God. Let's keep doing what we are doing. And now the last section. Verses 13 to 16. Then we, so Luke is still with them here. Then we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, intending to take Paul on board there. For these were his instructions, since he himself was going by land. When he met us at Assos, we took him on board, and we came to Mytilene. Sailing from there the next day, we arrived off Chios. The following day, we crossed over to Samos, and the day after, we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so he would not have to spend time in Asia because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. So this third section, it's back to getting more of Paul's traveling itinerary. And what happens is pretty self-explanatory. When they get to the ship to depart for Assos, everyone in the group gets on except Paul. Paul decides to walk to Assos. Not sure why. Was he concerned about another plot of going to get on a ship, they're going to throw me over? Maybe. Maybe he was going to do some walking to get some more funds for the Jerusalem church. Possibility. Most people kind of think, though, that it was a time for Paul to be alone. A time alone with God. A time to reflect on all the things that have been happening. Like, just think about the Troas situation and Eutychus and a time to maybe wonder about what is still to come. So here Paul walks the approximately 30 miles to Assos, and then he rejoins the group. And they do a bunch of sailing and stopping where they end up at Miletus. And that's where we'll stop as well. There seems to be a straightforward application to these verses. And I think it's this. At least one is take time to be alone with God. Have you figured out there's a lot of hustle and bustle to your day? A lot. Block off some time on your calendar or it probably won't happen. But like intentionally do it. You can get out your phone, your calendar, put it on there. Make it happen. Go somewhere and leave your cell phone behind. (gasps) 
my kids are still shocked that I made it growing up without cell phones. Get away from people. Get away from the spouse. Get away from the kids. Get away from the friends. Now, I, when I say that, I mean use common sense. You're like, Dad, don't, hey, I'm going on a three week hunt trip. Me and God, you got the kids. <laughs> That's not what I mean. But take time to get away. Be quiet. Listen to God. Talk to God. That's our talking peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Christianity is a worldwide team sport. Be on the team and be a good teammate. Let's keep doing what we are doing. When we meet on Sundays, let's do the Lord's Supper. Let's sing, let's pray, let's worship, let's love the word of God and take time to be alone with God. It's vital. Now, we normally pray at this time, so let's keep doing what we're doing and pray. Father, your word is so rich and good, and I pray that you would be honored in the way that we have opened it and looked at it, and now let us apply it. And there are certainly more applications and more truths to glean from this, but Lord, from what was given to us today, I ask that it would be good for each and every person here. Be encouraged, church, that we are on a worldwide winning championship team, Team Jesus. Father, let us not be so consumed with traditions of man that we can't ever move away from somehow that the Spirit would be leading us. And yet let us also be so sharp and on guard that we would know that your will would not be for us to leave singing and praying and preaching and teaching God's word. Like, let us be locked into those things as something that we do as a group. And just as Daniel said this morning, as he welcomed us, it's like, this is a highlight day. Lord, let that be true. Because we get to be in your presence together with a group of people. And Father, there's also a time not to be together. I just got to believe Paul did not waste those 30 miles of being alone. So Lord, I'd ask that you'd give us something similar to that. Like a, a spiritual retreat, if you will. Maybe it's 10 minutes. Maybe it's 10 hours. I don't know. Father, I just ask that you would like let families work on this, like what that would look like. I don't know. I feel like sometimes, Father, we are our own worst enemies when it comes to the busy schedules that we keep. Like we choose to do that stuff. So maybe for some of us, Father, maybe we, maybe we just need to open up the calendar and go, oh, I've squeezed you all the way out of my day. And I would ask that you'd give us the, the obedience, the courage to delete some things and to add some quiet time. Some Jesus and me time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.